This is what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa, and I give a shit. You know what? I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit today because you know what? I just came back from like almost a week away, and I was outdoors in California. So I don't care about anything now. Like I have a new perspective. Life is so good. And uh, if you haven't gotten a vacation lately, take a vacation and go somewhere and go outdoors because it's really important to your mental health. Tell every tell your boss that Dr. Lisa said that you she prescribes a vacation and go do it. So anyway, thanks for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn, the greatest radio station in um, in the world because I've checked them all and this is definitely the best one. Um, you know, uh, it's really important to uh, pr- uh, to uh, support media, media, free media. You know, nonprofit media, you know about that because uh, we've got a president. Well, you know, you know why you, you're you listening to this show. So you already know. So go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and slash donate. OK, so I'm going to tell you about my guest who's off, who, who looks like she's about to start like giggling when I talk about her. I'm going to talk about her. Hi, Jillian. Hi. Jillian Steinhauer. Is that how I say your name? She's nodding. Yes. OK, so I got the name right. We're off to a good start. So here's the thing. This is what I want to talk. This is what I want to talk to you guys about. Um, I have a really important uh, social issue that I think is, or something that's really important to me is that we don't talk about death enough. So that's that's where this started. And uh, Jillian curated the show at the Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts, which is a really really great um, art organization. If you don't know about it, you really should it's on 30 39th street 323 west 39th street but anyway so jillian uh um curated this really um um moving i mean i think this like to me i know this sounds cheesy but i think it's an important show and i think it's really worth seeing and because of the art but more than that i think that the that we need to really talk about death and grief and all that stuff. So I think that's really important. So here's my plan, folks. I'm going to tell you really briefly about the show. Uh, I'm going to tell you what's coming up with the show. And then um, I'm going to have Jillian talk to you, uh, tell you, explain the show. And then we are going to have a discussion about how Jillian came up with this idea and the results, her results. She's nodding her head. So you agree with that, Jillian? Makes sense to you? Sounds good. Okay. So this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you that um, I'm just going to read really quickly something that her friend, who's an art art critic writer, wrote so that uh, I it's it's brief and it's put better than I can ad lib. When it comes to grief, our culture values a stiff upper lip, but stoic composure comes with a price. It keeps the realities at arm's length, including truths about the erasure, enslavement, and slaughter of Native Americans and Africans. In the presence of absence suggests that mourning may be a means of empowerment, empowerment, folks, and in a, and a way through it, 
is a show that requires a certain openness, a bit of courage even to experience. I love that because I do think that the show can challenge the viewer, you, because you're going to go see it, folks. And um, it's an experience. It's it's really taking in some great art, but it's also like a much bigger uh, per- social issue. It's closing in a week and a half, that's true, and there's a panel discussion about the design politics and future memorials led by the show's curator, art critic Jill Steinhauer. That's tonight, folks. So I'm going to tell you the address. It's EFA Project Space. It's 323 West 39th Street, second floor. The discussion tonight is from 6.30 to 8.30. And by the way, there's also another event on May 11th, which is a week from Saturday, and that is the last day. And I can't say how important I personally think the show is, and I think you should go and see it before it closes. And um, I know the feedback has just been phenomenal. I'm just going to read quickly all the names of the people involved in it. Uh, the pu- publications, besides being led, the whole thing's led by Jillian, okay, folks? That's why she's the one here. But there are contributions on the publications from Michelle Garcia, Jesse Lynn, Nick Witchley, and Megan, curator advisor Megan Karnick. But the artists in the show are Inabal, Inbal, okay, I'm not going to get it all right. Inbal, Abergel, Emily Harris, Leah Davis, Valerie Jung, Esterbrook, Hawk, E-A-V, whatever, Edgar, Heap of Birds, Nene, Humphrey, Melinda Hunt. My husband knows her. I'll tell you about that later, another time. They did a project. He does a project. He does like abandoned stuff. Jamil Alawale, that's wrong too. Cusco M. I really murdered these names that talk about death. Carmen Lane, Todd Shalom. All right. So Jillian, can we, in your words, can you... Go ahead, describe the show for us. Sure. Um, It's a group exhibition, and um, it's about grief and it's about death, um, but it's it approaches them from a sort of mix of political and personal. So it's about, there are a lot of artists in the show, almost everyone has lost people who were close to them, so a lot of their work came out of those places. Um, But at the same time, there are a lot of artists who are dealing with death and grief as a larger societal phenomenon, Um, whether it's the way we ignore it for certain people or um, the ways certain deaths have been overlooked or um, reconnecting with ancestors who were enslaved. Um, So it tries to tie together those two strands and um, yeah, just sort of think about how grief is very pervasive, but we don't really talk about it and we don't really, um, I feel like there are, I mean, there is a whole like death movement and there are some social spaces, but I think they're limited and they're still sort of growing. So part of it was wanting to create a space where we could have these conversations and think these thoughts and feel these feelings. I was joking before it opened that everyone was going to come to the opening and we were all just going to cry for like two hours. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so yeah, so there's 10 artists in the show. Um, One artist, uh, Todd Shalom, made a performance Um, The other nine have work in the galleries. There's some work that was made specifically for the show, other work that already existed and I just brought in. Um, And I I think and hope the works really speak to each other. And it's all about this topic. Um, I think that's a good overview. Yeah, I think um, another thing I want to point out is that the artists all come from pretty much different places, but are very well themed. I think that's a great 
thing about the curation. So when you walk away, you have this really like very, very broad, very varied view on grief and what it means to um, that person's social group or whatever. And, you know, we do, you know, talk, we need to talk about things like slavery and how, and the American Indians and all that stuff. And it's just really important shit. Just really important shit. Thank you. Um, Yeah, actually, I wanted to mention, wait, two Mm -hmm. things. One, well, one thing I actually just wanted to backtrack and just note Mm -hmm. that the, the, the writing that you read at the beginning, I just wanted to say it's by Mary Louise Schumacher, who used to work for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and is amazing. Um, And then I also wanted to say, yeah, and part of it also was, I feel like I've seen shows, some shows, not many, about death, like death as a phenomenon. And I really wanted this to be a little bit different. Like, it's very much about death, but I wanted it to be a little more about grief, if that distinction makes any sense. And sort of the idea of loss and not just like literally how we bury people, but like the feelings a little bit more than the than that. Yeah. Well, the idea of death. I mean, one of the things that I think of in mo- modern day that I think is actually helpful about Facebook is that how often we hear about death. And I think that's really, really important. You know, in humans, in 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 normal times, you know, before before people die all the time and we have to become aware of that and integrate it into our lives. So in my uh, capacity as a pretend shrink, I had a really, really um, lovely, interesting, fascinating conversation in preparation for the show today with Jillian on the phone when I was in California. And um, I I learned a lot. I learned a lot from talking to her, and I'm going to encourage her to share what what with you personally what I learned from speaking with her. But I just wanted to... Uh, say that I thought that um, Jillian had, um, well, first of all, the show is dedicated to Henrietta, Suzanne, and Branya. Branya. Branya, that I pronounced that right. So I knew, I saw that, and I used that as a way, way in to have a discussion with Jillian about like how this idea of grief was personal to her. So I think that was a really rich area to find out um, how she dealt with grief on a personal level and how she processed it into a society level in a way that's bigger than than her or one person in a hu- very humanistic way. And uh, I want us to share that with you today, all of you, you listener, you. And uh, I want to share that. And um, I also want to say that I thought that it was really um, a good, healthy. I thought it was extremely healthy, frankly, uh, so much so that it was like almost threatening. I'm like, this chick has her shit together. She has supportive parents. She has a support group because I think that um, Jillian was able to really process this, even though I don't think she had a whole lot of experience with grief because I think her family, like they, they stick together. And so she was able to use her writing, her work, her interest of combining art and social issues to process this and share with everybody. And I mentioned it must've been fucking healing. This is what art is for folks. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Jillian, so you can tell us what that dedication uh, to Henrietta, Suzanne and, 
Grania mean? Maybe you can start with that. Sure. I I actually just want to say that <laughs> I feel like, uh, yes, I I do maybe have my shit together, but um, <laughs> I uh, I also have a therapist. So oh, okay, there you go. That's part of having your shit together. Right? <laughs> it's very helpful. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I um, so the dedication is for the three women in my life who died in the last roughly three and a half years. So um, two of them were grandmothers, Henrietta and Brenya, the old timey names. Um, Henrietta lived here in Brooklyn. She had lived here since the fifties. We were very close and Brenya lived in Montreal. She was my grandmother who survived the Holocaust. Um, We were not as close, but because she was just a complicated person to be close to, but you know, I really loved her and she was an amazingly strong woman. Um, and then Suzanne was my partner's mother. Um, and that was a really difficult one. Um, she got sick sort of out of nowhere and then, um, passed away and that was tough. So that took over a lot of my life Mm -hmm. in the last few years. Um, so that was sort of just so we understand. So it was your mother's mother that passed and then your partner's Mother. It was my dad's mother and then my partner's mother and then my mother's mother. So you had to deal with also not just what was going on in you and your partner's lives. You also had to deal with the parents yeah. Yeah. on both sides. So Definitely. there's a lot that's really complex. I think that's complex. Yeah, it was it was a lot. And there were I will say there are three different, you know, apartments slash houses to clean out in three different countries. And um just a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in some ways, I feel like I just got lucky. Like EFA, you know, approached me and asked if I would be interested in curating the show or a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I decided I was interested in doing it, I came up with the theme. But, you know, I don't know that I would have otherwise known how to where to put my grief and, and what oh, to do with really? it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I haven't really written about a lot of this stuff. I think mm-hmm. in some ways I still haven't figured out how to write about it. So curating the show became like you said, really healing, but I didn't really know that going in. Mm. Um, oh, that's interesting. So they reached out to you and yeah. And yeah. then, and they were like, Oh, do you have any ideas? And so I brainstormed ideas and this was one that, you know, I, w- I was like, well, I should draw from life. What is the thing that I'm really thinking about mm. right now? This is the thing I'm really thinking about right now. And I should say, too, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but there's definitely a political element for me. Um, I mean, part during this time period when all this stuff was happening was also when Trump was elected. Right. So that was really, really hard for me, as I know it was for many, many people. Um, and there was something about it that just you know, it made everything feel worse, right? It still does. I mean, it- well, I also remember um, when we were talking on the phone that you had said that you were blindsided by it. Yeah. Which, which, and you're very involved in social issues. So I imagine politics are pretty close to your heart. And that must have been, there's this shocking thing that we go through when, you know, people die. And it, there, there is a certain kind of death when um, Trump got elected. So I definitely can imagine how that would have compounded everything. Yeah. I mean, part of me, you know, feels like that, like the white person in the Dave Chappelle sketch or the, was it the SNL sketch where they like, you know, he's he's in the background being like, of course, he's going to win. And then they're all like, no, there's no way he could never win. Like, that's how I feel. Right. <laughs> in right. Retrospect. But I was. You're um, not alone. But I you was are not yeah, alone. And, and I was shocked. And it was it was painful. Yeah. Yeah. And it could also be, um, you know, it could have been rigged. So who knows, you know, who really knows what happened? Yeah. But um, so it I'm interested in like the journey that you went on to get 
to um, particularly what's happened with, um, you know, Indians and African-Americans and stuff. So how did it, how did it process for you? You started thinking about it on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, so I started thinking about it on a personal level and I started just reaching out to people, doing research, talking, getting recommendations from folks. And I reached out to a handful of people early on. And, you know, a lot of the way the show evolved was from conversations with artists um, because they had been thinking about this issue, some of them for their whole careers, some of them for, you know, shorter Mm -hmm. times, but still a Mm -hmm. long time. When you say issue, I'm sorry, I just want to be clear. Um, So you're talking about the idea of death, grief, death and grief personally to them or personally. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it sort of started with like talking to people who I knew were dealing with it personally. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people who are dealing with it personally, we also had conversations about how it's both personal and reflected on a societal level and how Mm -hmm. the two are intertwined. Mm -hmm. And so a number of the artists in the show having those conversations with them, like talking to Edgar Heap of Birds and him telling me, you know, Grief is this driver of what he does because it's a fact of life on the reservation, mm. you know, um, or talking to Jamil Alawali Kosoko or M. Carmen Lane about being African-American and having that sort of be inherited trauma. Right. It's something you live with. It's something you grow up with, even though it's also personal. So having those conversations, I think, was what really shaped me to sort of look at it in that direct, take it in that direction. Mm-hmm. And because I have a penchant for thinking about larger social issues it occurred to me that that was kind of the show I hadn't really seen. Like I had seen shows about death, but it's often as a very universal or, or personal phenomenon. Right, right, right. But it does feel so related to the current moment in our country and the politics of that moment also. Because right. the country was literally built on death. I mean, there was the genocide of the Native Americans and the enslavement of Africans. Like that, we Abs- literally built the country on mass, <laughs> mass death. And I also think that people um, think once death, like, well, that stuff's all over, that's they're dead. It's beyond us. But unless, you know, as as a shrink, as a pretend shrink, unless you deal with death, it's still going to keep coming up unless you acknowledge it and, and, and can process it. So, And that's what kept coming up for me in thinking about the connection it feels just like a metaphor for society. Like we have a country as a country, haven't dealt with those founding sins and therefore we haven't worked through it. And we elected Trump like it all it, to me, the two map onto each other very well. Right. Right. I can see that. I mean, part of the reason we're still having um, issues about, um, you know, race is because we haven't really dealt with the whole death thing yeah. or the whole grief thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, African-Americans may be dealing with that more directly and in, in a certain, in a certain way. Yeah. Well, and, and again, the, that's why I want to bring all those voices into the show. So um, you must have, so, so it sounds like from going from your personal experience that you were able to sort of draw, draw, draw bigger, bigger circle when you started talking to the artists yep. and then did you see it more as a social that's when you started seeing it more of a social thing very much yeah um, but I will say it's interesting because I think for most of them or many of them it really works on both levels like I, I and I see it on both levels mm-hmm. too like it doesn't erase the personal you know like mm-hmm. for I mean it's it's not true for everyone but for many of the artists in the show even in the wall text, like I was able to point to, okay, this person started making this work after their father died or mm-hmm. after their brother died, or mm-hmm. this is dedicated to their grandmother. So the personal element is still mm-hmm. very much there. Did it make you feel closer to them than, than most other shows that you've probably 
you know, than than a typical show where you might just pick. Well, I don't know, but talking I mean, about that stuff, I've you never, know, you haven't. Have I've you never curated? Cur- no, I've never you, curated that's before. That's the first show you've yeah. curated. Yeah, really good at uh, it. Thank you. Um, no, it did make me feel closer to them, and that was part of it too. Was that I I found grief very isolating, or I find mm-hmm. it very isolating, especially mm-hmm. at my age. I think a lot of people haven't dealt with it mm-hmm. as much. Twenties, thirties, thirties. Um, so people are starting to, but like when my partner's yeah. mother died, like there, I didn't have a lot of peers who had lost parents. Right. Um, so talking to the artists made me feel less alone because they were thinking about it and going through it too. Did you find that you wound up discussing your own personal, you know, issues with your, so you were yeah, able absolutely. to, sh- so you both shared. That's so interesting. Yeah. We had very personal conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So what about the feelings of um, sharing and healing? Like you I, you had um, quite a quite a few gallery um, events, right? Mm-hmm. More more than more than average, I think, for a show. Well, maybe more than average for most shows. Although, if you know about EFA Project Space, they tend to do a lot of events. So, compared mm-hmm. to their average, I feel a bit like low on the you low end. You could have done more. Yeah, exactly. Should have done more. Exactly. See that that overachiever there. <laughs> That overachiever thing. That's accurate. I think you did. Huh? I think you did quite a few. I mean, I. Um, I mean, the one that I attended with um, the. Sorry, I'm not going to get his name. The Indian. The Indian. Native American. Native American. Oh my God! Listen to see what Edgar I, Heap of Birds. Yeah. Um. I have to say that just that, just being at one of those was extremely illuminating and good. Just hearing him talking about like what it really meant to be um, a Native American. Yeah. And also, I think what another thing was is that it wasn't all sad. There's so much hope and upliftingness. Can can you talk a little bit about the events that you had and what what the audience or the you know, what have people gotten out of the stuff that you've been able to really directly share like that? Do you want to tell yeah. us a little about that? Yeah. I mean, um, I was worried going into the show that it was going to be like way too dark. And like I said, we would all just cry. But I think having the events has really helped. And I think some of the work is more hopeful. Um but, you know, the opening was w- amazing. I thought there were tons of people there and I just people mm-hmm. kept coming up to me and um, just being like, thank you for, for making this. Uh-huh. And that was really moving. Um, I had actually gone a few weeks earlier to a death cafe at Greenwood Cemetery and someone from my death cafe group showed up, oh, which wow. was amazing, and, like, really inspiring to me and just wonderful because wow. I don't really know him. Um, and um so, and then there was a performance there and um, a performance choreographed right. by Jamil Alawale Kosoko. And I thought the performance was nice because it was quite abstract and that was a uh-huh. nice counterpart mm-hmm. to a lot of the work, which is not, mm-hmm. it's very <laughs> hit you over mm-hmm. the head. Um, and then we had Edgar's talk, which was, I thought also, I thought it was great. I mean, he's so eloquent and well-spoken and um, smart and I mean, he's brilliant. And he just, he describes, you know, well, the real challenges the Native Americans face, but he does does it in a very just like sort of matter of fact way. And he just I don't know, he has this really wonderful demeanor where you feel like he's very approachable. And so yeah. I thought that was really wonderful um, and not angry. Like, I don't yeah. I didn't get the feeling like there was like he, he it was something that he understood that he was trying to develop and work on and help all of, and help society help us all heal from it. It wasn't just like, yeah, these are my, you know. 
you mistreated my people. Yeah, absolutely. Like no, which, I agree. Which is a really amazing yeah. way to be able to take all of that in. Definitely. Did you wind up having a lot of, oh, did you finish? Did, yeah. did you finish with that? I was going to ask you if you wound up having a lot of um, conversations about death or or if people, well, like, were people talking to you about death? Has this been a month of death for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely at the opening. I mean, since then, there's just been a lot of really, like, a really great Facebook posts or, like, someone sure. will post on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so moving. Um, but at the opening, there were definitely people coming up, you know, to me. And I think the artists, too, being like, oh, I lost my mother. And this really means a lot to me, like, making those connections, mm-hmm. which is emotionally intense, but also really gratifying that, you know, it's speaking to them. Right, know? right, right. So, um, yeah. So how, what do you, so what do you think? Do you feel like, do you feel differently? Did the, how did this show affect you? Um, that's a great question. I think it did. And I think I didn't realize it while I was doing it, but, Mm -hmm. um, week and a half, don't miss it. (laughs) Um, I think it really was healing. Like you said at the beginning. And I, and I don't know that, that, I don't know that I even realized that that's what I was doing originally, Mm -hmm. but, Mm -hmm. um, something about making something, creating something from mm-hmm. these very sad, debilitating mm-hmm. feelings has been really good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't feel sad anymore, right. but it just changes the sort of character of it mm-hmm. maybe, or it makes it me feel like they ha- they don't have to be as debilitating, you know? Well, when you were saying that you felt like it was isolating, do you still have that feeling of isolation or, I mean, did it must have. Yes and no. I mean, really? I still feel like I'm, I, you know, well, I, it's personal to everybody. Yeah, exactly. And I and I still feel like I'm not having the conversations all the time or as much maybe. And I still feel like, you know, there's experiences that I've now gone through that I think some other people haven't. So there are still elements of that. Right. Of course. But also much less so than before. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a really good. Um, what's the word? It's like a really good shoring up or a really good, you know, emotional muscle building thing that you did for your future too. I think you'll probably reflect back on this, you know, I mean, it's something that it's a good foundation for, for anybody really. I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, we have three minutes. Is there any, anything else or should we read over all the details about getting people to show up? Oh, I mean, I, Whatever you think it is sounds, best. Well, I wanted to ask you what, you know, do you see anything, any more work coming out of this? I mean. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to carry it again anytime soon, but I would like to write about this more. So that's sort of where I see it mm-hmm. going in the future. There are so many, part of what I learned in the research process was just like learning about people who are doing work about death. I mean, like I said, there is a whole community. There is a huge right. community. Um And so it made me more interested in getting to know those people and writing Mm -hmm. about their work and and learning about their work and experiencing Mm -hmm. it. So I feel like that's probably the direction it will take in the future. Nothing, nothing specific. But do you feel like your interest is stronger now? Yeah, definitely. That's so interesting. Well, and I feel like also being interested in it and then that makes you deal with it and sort of look at it and look it in the face, right? Like if you, mm-hmm. if death is just a part of life, then you have a different relationship to it. And I think I grew up with it very like behind closed doors mm-hmm. or sort of we avoid it. And that's what may, has made it so painful. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your reaction to it through the show is different than your parents say, or are they, are they, do I don't you know. think I mean, they're they like, why, why is, why is Jillian so in talking about grandma's death still? Is there any of that? I don't know. 
I mean, don't my parents don't really, really my parents don't really talk about anything like uh, emotional. They're uh, they're like of that older generation that I right. don't know. They don't. That's not their thing. So I feel like they might be asking that, but they probably would ask that of about me of anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's Julian going off again. <laughs> yeah, or they're like, why is she in therapy? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, so right. It's like they don't just emotions. Yeah, they don't exactly. They're like, what are feelings? So, <laughs> so I feel like it's just a different approach to life. <laughs> Okay, well, I want to make sure that everybody knows about the event tonight, which I think sounds really awesome. It's called Collective Grief, the Design, Politics, and Future Memorials. Um, Do you want to just give us a top line on this? This is going to be... Sure, it's just a conversation with four different artists and architects who have designed like very untraditional memorials, talking about how we publicly mourn. Right, because memorials can mean so many different things. Yep. And we we are, this society is in a discussion yep, of them exactly. right now. And, exactly. you know, Robert E. Lee and all that stuff. So it's 6.30 to 8.30 at the uh, Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts Project space, which is 323 West 39th Street, second floor. And the panel discussion is co-represented by Reimagine End of Life. Mm-hmm. An organization that yeah it's a fe- it's a really great festival actually speaking of the death community they do a festival one in san francisco and one in new york every year and it's all about death oh interesting um, so there'll be one in the fall and people should check really? it out it's an, i'm gonna do it's that. a really great event that's great well anyway i can't thank you enough thank you it was really great talking to you thank and, you for having and me. i love really i mean you know i love your show thank you I'm so really, much it was really really great. i love your show too oh, thank you so much <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, folks. So that was Jillian Steinhauer. And guess what? We are getting ready for our next guest. But in the meantime, I'm going to tell you more about how great Radio Free Brooklyn is. Because it is. It's so great. We do such great stuff here. Do you know we have like um, every kind of music, every kind of talk show, every kind of everything. It's the most inclusive uh, organization, radio station, like if for real, we have like old people here. We have young people. We have people from other countries. We have people, I think we have, we have a show in Spanish. I hope we should. Anyway, so what you should do is make friends with us and you know how you can do that. You can download our app. So go to radiofreebrooklyn.org. Um, no, uh, uh, no, wait, go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash iPhone or go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash Android and download the app. That's what you should do because you know what? You might be like, I mean, you might be thinking like, hmm, I might want to listen to some music and then you just turn it on and you might get, you would get like the most wonderful, maybe unpredictable music and expand your mind and learn, you know, about some music you wouldn't have learned, or you might get a music show you really love. Uh, You know, you already know the music. You might get a talk show like me, something else. So join us. Okay. And now for our second half hour, we have the lovely, wonderful, happy,
go lucky. He looks happy go lucky today. And I'm then he made a serious. I'm sitting here with the headphones. The headphones are on, and it's just the sound of your voice. <laughs> I want this. Someone needs to make an app, and you can just like walk around, and Lisa Levy Listen will talk to, to you in her soothing voice, and like tell you it's all going to be okay. Ah, uh, see how good I already. I oh, that makes me feel so good. But anyway. So we have, ask Dr. Lisa, what green juice should I order? Oh, d- ask Dr. Lisa, what should I do at the bank? Yeah, yeah, just yeah, one of those like text me, text me and make all your decisions. <laughs> no, I want to hear the and voice. And your life will the wind up like mine. The voice in my ear like is mine. really, really good. Well, I'm glad to hear, and I am so happy to hear that. I haven't been here since you got these fancy new digs, too. You, you were only in the basement studio. Yeah, I'm this feels sorry about really. That. Doesn't it seem official? Yeah, syndicated. Like, doesn't it look like, don't I look like I know, I really do know what I'm doing, right? Sure. Like, yeah, but you know me well. You better, so you there's technology everywhere. So let me tell you about, um, yeah, I know, I don't need to use most of it. Oh, cool. So here's the deal with Christopher Stell, folks. So I know Christopher, Christopher's like my pal, it's true. But before he was my pal, um, I met him through the through the Bushwick Art Crit Group, I believe. I met him through so many things. Yeah. And we've done so many things together. We've done some incredible art, some famous art performance where I sat naked on a toilet for two days. We shared that. Um, you know, so many things. Um, Christopher is a really important human in my life, and I think he is to many, many people Um so to me, he's a curator and an artist. Uh, I'm just vamping this, Christopher. This is how I'm going to explain you. I'm explaining. I'm explaining you. But oh, good. My mom can listen, <laughs> and then she'll understand it too. <laughs> and me, and so me any- too. So anyway, when I first met Christopher, I don't know, maybe five years ago, maybe I don't know. Let's not talk, think because then I'll think about how old I am. Eight, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um. I met him in more of a capacity as a curator gallerist. And over the years I've seen, I knew he made art and I've seen some of his, you know, pieces that he made before I've met him when he was in San Francisco that were pretty fabulous, but I've seen his art develop as of last couple of years. And he has um, really focused more on art and less on the curating that he was doing, although he is still doing it. And I think that um, it's been a real joy for me to see Christopher coming coming to the fore, the Christopher making part of Christopher. And he's also done, you know, I'm thinking about it now, some of your performance dance pieces. So I thought that you just showed so much vulnerability in your dance, like in a way that I didn't know you had it in you. And it's really like, this is nothing to do with what we're really going to talk about today. Sure. But, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, a can you of put worms. put that out there. You fucking put that out there, man. And I, I, I didn't know you could do that. I before. didn't either. I studied dance for um, a hot second in mm-hmm. college like my electives Mm -hmm. kinds of thing. And I enjoyed it immensely and loved it, but I wasn't really of the ilk. Like, right. um, I was working on a show and I wanted dance to be in the show. Like Mm -hmm. I am like so enthralled with like Jason Andrews. I don't know what that is. Um, And he, um, he had the gallery with uh, Deb Brown. Oh, that guy. He's a dancer? Yes, he's real. 
And that guy's a dancer? But he's a person that swims in the dance world and in the art world together. And I want to dance to be in my thing. And oh. long story short, the choreographer came in, who's a friend, and looked at the work and said, I will choreograph a dance in response to your work if you, if you, here's the condition, you have to dance in it. <laughs> and I wanted to dance and I wanted to work with it. And I yeah. hadn't danced in years. And I was like, sure. You must have gotten great feedback on that, right? Um, dance is pain. Dance <laughs> is pain. Physical, Physical and emotional. Emotional, mental, all of it. Like I, I think that's more putting yourself out there than even singing, isn't it? Um, more vulnerability? Or maybe I'm just There's projecting. no auto-tune for dance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's less... Um, people have less of a frame of reference for it. Right. It's less common. So right. people don't know how to interpret yeah. it. When so, I, okay, well, let's get down. We don't have any time, Christopher. All right. Damn it. Sorry. You keep so, asking interesting questions. Okay. No stories. So here's the thing. Um, Christopher and I want to talk about, um, uh, gay abstraction. Or yes. The, the emergence of gay abstraction. Right. Yes. In the, abstraction in the gay world abstract art yeah so we basically want to talk about that but we also want to i'm going to stop him a couple minutes short because i want to hear about this project that he's doing about the history of art in bushwick past and present but first i want to tell you let me just tell you about the show that he that we're going to discuss that he has work in. it's called infinite rhizome and um, it's at Lichten Fire, and the idea is an endless plateau, plateau of interconnectivity. And the artists in the show, besides Christopher Stout, are Augustus Goetz. I'll murder these names, too. Augustus Gertz, uh, Alan Hansen, Alan Steele, Christopher Stout, Jeff Wallace, and Gerald Wolf. And it's the concept, and the gallery is run by Priska Jiska, and um, and uh, anyway, it says in many ways their work points to a lateral interconnectedness. Their visual language, however, independent, demonstrated demonstrates fluid, organic, artistic interrelation, akin uh, akin to the growth pattern of a lateral biological stem. So it's very organic, really. And this is up till May 5th, folks. May 5th. Get off your fucking asses and see the show. It is a really, really special, special show. And it is really I will say it a little. So um, this weekend is Freeze Weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. And our show is up and closes currently with the closing of Freeze. And Uh um, we're having a fun drinks party on Friday night. Ooh. Ooh, so drinks. if you want to check in with us after your fair going on Friday, or even if you are just have been in the city all Friday and want to come see the show and have drinks with us. There you go. And you, you'll you be there, Christopher. I right? will. And I won't be drinking the vodka, but I will be there. You will be there. Yeah. Okay. So it's 175 Rivington Street. Folks. Yeah, Rivington at Clinton. It's called Lichten Fire. Yes. 175 Rivington Street. So make sure you get there because it's really, really great. So talk to me about um, abstraction and how and how what's going on with cool. abstraction in the gay world. Um, so I'll set the show up and then I'll set up my work because okay. it is okay. a really good show. Okay. And I am looking at the clock. Okay. I'll make no, it I want to keep you on track. <laughs> I want to keep you on track. I love that about you. 
Um, so Infinite Rhizome is a show of six artists. All of us have deep relationships with the gallery and all of us have show, you know, have worked with her on several projects, solo projects, group projects, both. I think this is my 11th project with the gallery in three years. Like we, we go deep. Yeah. Yeah. And the point about the interconnectedness, like, and she's very clear. It's like, it's a convert. It's not a dialogue. It's a conversation. Mm. So we're all talking with each other, but we're, and, and visually we all look very familial, mm-hmm. but what's going on inside of our works can in some cases be very, very different. So right. we're actually starting at very different places and visually meeting at the same place. Right, right. Um, but the room has a very strong cohesive vibe. Yes. But each piece is its own person, but but it all has a very strong vibe it's when, you, when you're in the tightly curated. Room. Yeah. None of the other artists work in queer abstraction. And I think what's interesting is that I have used the word queer abstract. I've just started using it really last October. Really? I've yeah, been painting since 1993. Uh-huh. And this is a recent shift. Mm. And um, I like the word shift because often we'll talk about a person's work becoming different and it's generally a visual thing like, oh, they're doing figurative painting now or, oh, they've stopped using color or, oh, they're they're into photography this to me is a pretty arterial shift change, but it's not a shift in the outcome of the painting. It's more of a clarification of the thinking that's been going all along. Hmm. Hmm. So, so, okay. Um, I just want to say really quickly, and I think I sent you this text, like what I was starting to think about queer abstraction. And when I was in LA, I was in LA, I told you guys, um, this past week, and I saw this show about um, African, you know, about African-American art. Yeah. And um, they were talking about how there was a section on African-American abstraction. And it's interesting because I never, we all, in my mind, I, I have lumped all abstraction together. Yes. But every culture has a certain, um, spe- you know, has a certain specific aesthetic or some, you know, to some degree you can, you can put your finger on it to some degree, maybe what the aesthetic of a group is. And, um, and so I help me really understand what you meant by queer abstraction. Is that kind of what you're talking about? The aesthetic of a group? So I loved it that you sent me that image because <laughs> it actually strikes to, so when I started painting in 1993, mm-hmm. four, mm-hmm. what have you, it's, it's hard when like you can do stuff and then you're like, it's yeah, when you, you say the word artist, it just kind of changes. <laughs> so I'm like, when did I actually start painting? But when did I take the name? When did I like assign the yeah. word to it? Yeah. Um, so I am painting in Washington, D.C. because that's where I lived. Uh-huh. I am out because mm-hmm. I moved to DC after coming out uh-huh. and recently I, out for you. Yes. That was new for you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so I'm painting it and I'm painting because I've met other gay people. Uh-huh. And the first thing that the gay people I met did was they just sort of rearranged everything. Like I was studying pre-law at the university of Maryland uh-huh. and I started to like run around with other gay people who were creative people and were like, I don't think you're doing what you're set up to do. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> who wired you this way? Because this isn't you. I know. You've told me that you studied law, that you were pre-law. pre-law. And it totally, like, I can never process that. So every time you say it, it's like saying it, hearing it for the first time. I was also a philosophy major. So okay, that actually that all get. worked together. Yeah, all right. Yeah, anyway, but. so, you know, like, so I... I migrate from that. And so I'm studying, taking classes and working with a professor at, at Corcoran, which is a yeah. now just big deal defunct art school that was uh, in Washington, DC. Yeah. Um, and my mentor is at the national gallery of art. The amazing thing about Washington is the art world is so small that if you are doing it, you can suddenly meet the fanciest people mm-hmm. <laughs> and be tutored and, and critic receive mm-hmm. critical feedback so from the fanciest what was, people. What was the name of the person? Uh, I'm not, I'm going to say some stuff that isn't. So I'm going to, um, so I present my paintings and to me, it all works together. It's 1993. There isn't AZT yet. You know, like Mm -hmm. we're going to funerals all the time. Mm -hmm. AIDS is a death sentence. We're right in the plague Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing the work that's in the museums. So Phillips, you know, here shorn and it like, there's this total fascination with, you know, like, capital A abstraction. So post second world war. Mm -hmm. And that work is all about like the decimation and the horrors that are possible by humankind. Mm -hmm. So I start making work and I'm painting abstract painting. And to me, there's a one-to-one comparison to what I'm experiencing as a newly out gay man Mm -hmm. in the middle of an AIDS Mm -hmm. plague Mm -hmm. and lack of political support recognition or resources to circumvent that plague and what these people are taught. We're talking about. So I start making paintings and I bring them to crit and I'm saying, this is gay abstraction. It looks like this. And this is the language and the feedback I get, I get two pieces of feedback. The first is abstract expression is a language that is historical and you need to find out your own making of work. You know, like this is a great place for you to premise, but like, who are you like figure yourself out? Like you, you can't just walk in And, you know, like redact pieces of abstract expressionism and say they're yours. They're not. Right. And also philosophically in kind with that, you can't use this language and borrow it shorthanded that's being used by these people to describe this sociopolitical event for you and your sociopolitical event. So they were basically saying, go, go make your own shit. Pretty much. (laughs) And if you want to talk about gay issues, use the gay language. Uh-huh. And gay gay art is, you know, like historically men making work about men having sex with men. Yeah. I mean, that's like what, what, like, I mean, I can't even formulate the question, sure. but is it like gay abstraction? Is that a gay aesthetic or can like keep going? Sure. So long story short, what I have been able to either figure out or become confident about or just learn from the records of others is that I, with my own work, appreciated and was fed by the assertion that, you know, like I needed to develop my own voice and my Mm -hmm. own work. And so, you know, like I've spent the better part of two decades learning to understand what it it means to paint a Christopher Stout guided painting. Right, right, right. Um, And I also learned to reject the assertion that abstraction is not something that's available to me, that I can paint abstract work, I can label it as queer, and I can say that this is a representation of the queer experience or gay experience. Okay, so how 
how would somebody, um, and I can't be objective about your work at all because I know you too well. Sure. Especially your more recent work. That I can't at all. Uh, But anyway, so how do you think, like, is somebody going to look at your work and say that looks like it was done by a gay person? Or is there something about you being gay that you're trying to express? Like, because just as as an abstract work, it's hard to, 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 to know exactly what that is. I think that that is true of all abstract work. I agree. Work. And so I agree. one of the so, things that just baffles everyone in general. In fact, sure. when people walk in to a show and they're like, I don't trust myself about art. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it this or whatever? 99% of the time, they're probably looking at an abstract painting. Of course. And they're like, oh gosh, yeah, I'm set in this period of being but discerning must, or qualitative. There's something about it that you feel expresses gay or something about you, something gay. And so is that what you're saying? I think that it expresses otherness and that otherness is something that I associate with also being queerness. Mm -hmm. So just something deviated from the mainstream. Hmm. That's so interesting. I see your, I literally see the wheels turning in your head. I know. (laughs) I know. No, it's really interesting. Well, abstract art is difficult to, um, I mean, I, you know, I am not uh, really, folks, I'm no expert and I'm not particularly well versed in abstract art. So I, you have to forgive me for this, <laughs> but I let do. Me, let me correct no, but, you. I don't think that anyone necessarily is. I think that everyone has, there's so many processes and so many ways of getting there. And so whatever, that there's no general set of tools. Okay, well, it's not like anyone could have handed you a primer and you could have read it and been like, yeah. Oh, I'm a mat. And that's sort of the. the yeah. Cause the, abstract art folks is very instinctual to appreciate. I mean, there is no right or wrong and there is no way to exactly verbalize literally what it is. So we, we, I do know that. And I think that's what you're trying to say. When I started painting and saying, okay, like I'm going to put the word queer on these paintings. Now I'm going to sign, assign them this responsibility. Suddenly my experience making them and the way I feel about looking at them, they feel just like portraits. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say. What there must be some aesthetic in you that I think, what what I'm sort of hearing is that not just you, you are a lot of things and gay is one of the things you are. Sure. So I think that when you say gay, is that because they're more, they're personal to you? They obviously have very personal, they are, you know, you gave birth to them. I yep. mean, right. Cause that's what it feels like. Sure. Um. So is that. Giving birth to something is a heteronormative construct. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's metaphorical, maybe. You have to be male and female to give birth. I guess. I don't know. It's true. Anyway, <laughs> I never gave birth, but sure. I could if I had. True. If I had wanted to, probably. Uh, the point is, is that, um, so this thing came out of you and is, so in other words, gay is a part of it, but is gay also part of other uh, art movement or work that you see? in other art that other people make? Um, There's probably a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I could throw out the names of people that I love who I know that are gay or queer or lesbian or bi or trans or what have you. And they make abstract work 
and they have this sort of bifurcation between what they do and what they are. Uh huh. And then there are people who I would consider direct contemporaries and probably mentors because I've had a lot of helpful mm-hmm. conversations about this who have mm-hmm. said, you don't stop being yourself and you most accurately really become yourself when you mm-hmm. step into a creative process. Mm-hmm. And so the things that you are bringing and engineering or fashioning something are the exact same things. Like you're, if you're bringing the best of yourself into your painting, mm-hmm. your queerness is essentially there. Right. So do you personally identify more with um, other, like if you were going to look at your work from like an abstract art point of view, would you identify it more clearly with other gay artists? I would identify most closely with 1970s and early 80s political activists who were using painting as a way of communicating their mm-hmm. activism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what you sent me. So that's the black experience. That's right. the queer experience. That's other things. Right. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is this personal to you or is there a bigger movement or is this something that people are talking about? Gay abstraction. Um, this is something that people have just quietly sort of, I've, so I would read things in the press mm-hmm. yeah. like every three to four years in the nineties and I would read it and I would be more confused. And then, you know, it's become a conversation and there is sort of like, I, I'm, I'm not a pioneer. Uh, well, I'm not, not even, mean- I'm not an, I'm not an early adapter. It's just that it's not necessarily prevalent. In fact, one of the reasons I really wanted to do this interview is, you know, when I first showed the work at Lichtenfire last October, Mm-hmm. I got a review in White Hot Magazine mm-hmm. and the review said nice things about my work in terms of like the the, the makerness, the workmanship, mm-hmm. the aesthetic, the outcome, mm-hmm. and then jumped into the queer part of it and said, is this valid? Is this possible? Is it possible for work? To be which, queer. <laughs> which I got really excited. Like I was like, you know, like that person cares enough. Like I – I, I love it when uh-huh. people say nice things and I'm happy when they say yeah, anything like right, they're, yeah. they're committing to print. Right. Um, but then I will tell you, you know, like I have, I've done as I'm showing this work and bringing it and talking to people, people will look at me and they will like get quiet and make sure that it's okay to ask. And I'm talking about learned academic uh-huh. contemporary uh-huh. art world people with careers that, that know about work and are saying things like, what is this? Um, so that's why I felt sort of like Mm -hmm. it was important to like talk about this because I don't think the definition is just lying around for us. No, no. And I think it's really interesting because after having like a little bit of a preliminary conversation with you, when I went to the African American museum, it kind of like made me think about that differently, that work. Sure. Uh, And I think that, you know, the idea of people identifying in any particular way with abstract art, it has goes to the bigger issue that like, I mean, handwriting, almost everything has an aesthetic. Everything we make has an aesthetic and identity who we are is a really important part of that. So, um, I think, thank you for making me think about this. And I think this is an, for me, this is the beginning of, um, something I'm going to be thinking about a lot more in terms of gay abstraction, in terms of 
all kinds of groups of abstraction, but um, it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic and we only have four minutes. So I want to like Uh-oh. make sure that we talk a little bit about um, the project. Cause I said we were going to announce it today and I don't know what I, I'm excited about it because um, it's something that you're the perfect person to be doing um, the history of the story of the art in Bushwick, past and present, but I want to hear more about it. So tell us about it. Sure. So um, I have a lot of roots with this neighborhood for the better part of a decade. Uh, Arts in Bushwick, Bushwick, Bushwick Art Creek Group, yeah. Art During the Occupation Gallery. Right. Like this is literally the first time in 10 years that I've not been the head of a leadership organization and a leadership, you know, or yeah. like in, like no, in Bushwick or anywhere. So that's sort absolutely. of novel. Um, and, you know, I also feel because of digital tools, video, what have you, we have the, for the first time, a real ease in mm-hmm. um, putting a record out there and maintaining a record. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, specifically interested in forming a project that either result, it probably results in a, in a few things, a book, uh-huh. video interviews with thought leaders of the neighborhood um, and social media tools and binds that all together Mm-hmm. So that we just make sure that there's a record and we encapsulate and we hear from the people who were agents of change and thought leaders in our, like, I just don't want it to be forgotten. Right, right, right. Um, there was the Club 57 show. I hope I'm saying that correctly yeah. at MoMA. And I heard all these backstories about how hard it was for them. And basically the people that were in the show on some level were the people that they were, that the records were able to like the, like this major New York institution was at the mercy of records. Right. right. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like we should. And I am very much sort of the librarian sort of project management. Yeah, Well, because like, I mean, folks, you should understand that Christopher among other things started the Bushwick art crit group, which is um, turned into, and it's still ongoing. Uh, it's a huge organization, really. And uh, every month, about seven artists come, and Christopher invented the whole thing and the way of doing it. And I we know. all really get to see everybody's work in the neighborhood, and then everybody gets to know each other. And I talked about this. Every time somebody wants to get started as an artist, I said, you should get involved with this group. It was passed down it's to me lot. from the Lower East Side and I passed it down to Sherilyn. Yeah, you did yeah I didn't invent it. Well, whatever. Thank you, though. Yeah. You invented it here. So yeah. um, anyway, when is, when is, so Sherilyn takes it over. Why don't we just tell people when it's at, it, Transcender is yeah. the group that runs it now. So if yeah. anybody does want to get involved in that, they should. So you have um, a plan on how to, on what you're going to, so you're going to take charge of this or get, yes. get it, which is so amazing. I'm going to project manage it. You're going to project manage it. So what are you, are you going to get other people involved and stuff like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. be a big project. All the people. And then is it going to be like eventually, do you think you're going to have an exhibition or? No, uh, I don't think it's going to be an exhibition. I mean, it might be, I mean, maybe like on an institutional level, but right. um Right now, I'm looking just to make sure we have a repository of information mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then people have the liberty to use that information however it well, makes that's sense. Great. And also, like in Club 57 days, everything was on print and now everything's digital and it's not in one so place. So we could have a library so, of video interviews, yeah. for example. Yeah, we could, really you know, good. We could put this one in there. We could. <laughs> 